0: Just what the doctor ordered.
1: And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Career. Hi,
2: good morning, good morning. So sorry, folks are testing a new system today, and so I couldn't hear any of the music, so we had uh dead air. I am Bill career in the social life, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And I'm going to have so much fun today because I am surrounded by not one... Not two, but three attorneys. So if you never hear from me again, you'll know what happened. But we really are going to have a great time today because we're going to be talking about social media as it pertains to employees and employers. So let me tell everyone uh, just a little bit about my guests. First, we have C.R. Wright. C.R. is a partner in the Atlanta office of Fisher Phillips. C.R.'s practice includes advising clients on general labor and employment issues, handling employment-related litigation, and presenting training seminars for managers and supervisors. And we also have Josh View. Josh's practice focuses on representing companies in a variety of labor and employment matters, including defending employers in employment-related litigation, especially in the areas of discrimination, retaliation, harassment, compliance with leave and wage, and our laws and regulations and contract disputes involving restrictive covenants and trade secrets. And last but not least, we have Terry Stewart. Terry is a partner in the Atlanta office of Fisher & Phillips. She represents management in all areas of labor and employment law in state and federal courts, as well as before state and federal agencies. So welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. We're actually, I'm in their office today. So this is great fun to be able to do the program like this.
3: Thank you, Deb. We very much appreciate the uh, opportunity.
2: Great. Well, let's just jump right in because, of course, you know, one of the things that we hear the most about when we're talking with folks regarding social media is, it's my personal space. Why can my boss look at it? Why can they tell me anything about it? So, you know, why is it permitted in some instances? And what is permitted and what isn't from an employee-employer perspective? Well, um, just as background, of course, we are labor and employment lawyers and we advise
3: employers when employee situations occur. To your point, um, social media is just the newest form uh, whereby employees can get into trouble and do and say things they shouldn't. If you think about it, this my space, my personal space idea uh, has always existed because uh, employees think that what they do on their own time away from work is not their employer's business. And in fact... In some cases, it is, and we can give lots of examples of that, where things that an employee did damage not only the employee's reputation, but also the employer's reputation mm-hmm. because of the association and the employer-employee relationship.
2: Right. You know, we, we hear things like that all the time in the media, where you know something happens, you know, and 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 you see, you know, so and so who is employed at X firm. You know, or ex-business, all of those things, you know, did such and such. And so it, it seems like, especially in, in the media, they always ask, where do you work? And, and so you're right, it has been going on forever. Um, you know, it's probably they were pounding these things out on stone tablets. Um, so what is the, the you know, I, I think one of the things that kind of got some traction and then hopefully went away, I haven't heard about it for a while, is the job interview process. When employers said, give me your password. Talk about
3: that a little bit. Well, that that created uh, a real backlash, resulting in some states passing laws regulating that. I know Terry has had a lot of experience advising employers, so I'll uh, defer to her to to give you some background and context on that. So
2: when employers were asking for people, uh, people or potential candidates for jobs for their passwords, there are numerous problems. While what someone does on their personal Facebook account, my Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever is is the the medium of today, can have lasting Mm effects. And it can provide employers with a lot of information on whether this person would be a a good Mm -hmm. candidate to work here. Um, For instance, if um, they are griping about their boss on their Facebook account or Twitter, then what's to say that they're not going to be bragging about you later down the road? So we always say that, um, you know, most of your problems, 90% of your problems, comes from 10% of your employees. So if you can eliminate those percentage of employees, you're going to limit litigation risk down the road, potential employee costs, and that kind of thing. So um, the issues, um, is that information is very beneficial, but people still have some right of privacy Mm -hmm. in these realms. Um, but it depends. If there is password protection, then it's the equivalent of a locked cabinet. Okay. If it's out and open, and you can Google it, and it's free for all, then it's available to be reviewed by your employer. If an employer goes so far as to request a password, um, that is essentially asking for the key to lock the locked cabinet, and it's a problem. There's State legislation. It can also be a violation of. Communications Act under federal law, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to be literally asking for the password or fake friending them and packing in. It can be as little bit, as minor of an infraction or as simply asking for the request itself can be a violation. Ah. Or, you know, a lot of people keep their passwords because we all have a million passwords mm-hmm. for every different site under their computer keyboard and its employer, even though that's your office, the employer's office and they're safe. If they go in and access it through something like that, that's not to be a violation. Okay. Well, and that does kind of bring up the, the question of, you know, if you are an employee and you're using your computer at work to access, you know, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, LinkedIn, we're just going to think it's professional and it behaves itself and that you know, we're not really going to discuss it. But if you're you know at your computer and you're working and you access Facebook, that change anything. It doesn't matter if it's your own personal computer or the, the employer's computer. It depends on company policy. And I think towards the end of the program, we're going to talk more about um, what we can do in light of all these mm-hmm. risks and assessments. But um, it can change. And a well-written employer policy does say that this is the company's computer and mm-hmm. company's time. So any access of such information is open and available um, for the employer just to look at and review. Um, there is also methods that employers can implement um, through IT firewall systems that prevent people from going on these websites. It's not necessary, right. but this is a new way of doing business. So most of the time, you want them on, maybe on a professional setting and not talking right. about what they did last night. Um, but it can change it just needs to be a very well-written policy, but I would still caution employers before making any discipline or discharge decision to talk with counsel or someone who is educated in this realm to say, is what I'm doing an appropriate way to access and record this information Um, before doing anything about it? Because still hacking in, fake friending, using passwords can still be a risk.
4: And, Deb, and in terms of um, employees using the employer system, to the extent you want to limit that, you also can run the risk of running afoul of some of the federal labor laws ah. that apply both to union and non union workplaces.
2: Okay.
4: Uh, employees do have a right to gather during non work time uh, and discuss their working conditions. Mm-hmm. Now, when these laws first came out before the onset of social media, we were talking about water cooler conversations, right. right, during in break rooms and other common areas during non-work time. So you have to be conscious uh, of applying those same principles to the social media realm. If you are allowing employees some um, some personal use of the company's assets in terms of the internet or Facebook and those type things. You can't limit those in a way that would discourage employees or discriminate against employees who are potentially engaging in what the the union realm has traditionally been called concerted activity. Uh, And the the agencies that enforce those laws have been focusing, one, on non-union workplaces. Typically, people think, well, I don't have to worry about the National Labor Relations Act because... I don't have a union, but the agencies are focused more on non-union employers and also focused, of course, on social media.
2: Right. Well, and I always tell people social media, and in particular Facebook, is the online water cooler. You know, we used to go to the coffee machine, to the water cooler, and it's funny, you can always kind of look at, at demographics because many businesses now don't even know what a water cooler is. Um, but. You know, and you stopped and you said, hey, what would you do over the weekend? What book are you reading? What movie is going on? And you didn't have that little chit-chat. And so now it's just happening online. And so I'm sure that is one of the places that causes problems.
3: And an interesting point, if you want to make the analogy, you know, in the, in the water cooler days you mentioned, when employees were gathered around and talking, a lot of times supervisors or managers had a tendency to want to know what was being said.
2: Right.
3: Well, now that uh, the government and others recognize that social media is the modern-day equivalent of that communication uh, system around the water cooler and in the break room, uh, certainly managers and supervisors who are still curious uh-huh. are trying to break in on the conversation, intercept information, and uh, see what's going on in the workplace, some of which is not their business and some of which can get them in trouble. You know, this is a media is a 360 concept in terms of uh, employees need to understand the risks and, and the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, the managers and supervisors also need to understand companies have to have the right policies. You know, in our business, uh, we see the the issues when the problems arise for an employer. Mm-hmm. When an employee brings something to uh, a manager or supervisor and look what my co-worker did or said on social media, whether it's a blog or whatever else. And you have to handle it just like any other investigation. Many times when we get into a situation like that and there's an allegation that a co-worker has has said something offensive Mm -hmm. or inappropriate uh, that might violate a company policy and you go back and investigate and you find out that person was set up. That somebody else posted that on their behalf, Mm -hmm. perhaps while they were gone and their computer wasn't Mm -hmm. locked. So there are just so many things you can see in the social media context uh, come up in the workplace and have to be dealt with.
2: Uh, And it used to be, you know, when you worried about the actual physical water cooler or, you know, whatever, there was a place. And so you knew, okay, everybody's gathering here between 1 and 2, and, you know, and now it's 24-7, 365. You know, you have people who are online at night, who are on weekends, who are using their smartphones to, to be able to post. And so it makes it much more difficult to monitor. I think that's where it gets tricky, you know, because I've had people who've said, My boss has told me I have to friend to him on Facebook. <laughs> and my, my, I usually say, Oh, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, and, and or people have said, I, I friended my boss on Facebook, what do I do? And I tell them, you know, unless you really are good friends, it's probably better to unfriend them. You know it's probably one of those situations where they might have just been going through their list and friended everybody. But you know that does get tricky because we have connected with people, and maybe it's not the boss, it might be the boss's spouse or their children or somebody like that that we've connected with. and you know it's just dramatically increased the the potential for you to say something you shouldn't.
3: And there and there's other complications to that too. now, just for your information. When we uh, advise clients, employers, uh, we tell managers and supervisors there are many good reasons why they should not be friends with uh, particularly subordinate employees on social media. It's like sitting at their kitchen table. Right. They get way too much information mm-hmm. uh, that they they really uh, can cause potential liability by knowing. Uh, also, you mentioned the 24-7-365 concept. That's true when employees uh, would meet in the workplace, say from one to two, as you mentioned, uh, they, they'd uh, most often likely be sober mm-hmm.
2: and not under ah. the influence <laughs> of, of things that
3: sitting in the middle of the night uh, might might affect
2: right. their judgment mm-hmm.
3: in what they post, mm-hmm. say, do. Mm-hmm. They say, um, you
2: know, what happens in Vegas on Facebook mm-hmm. um, and all these other social <laughs> media sites. So there's a couple of concepts that, that you mentioned. Um, one is to follow up on what CR said about managers trending, um employees. So it's, it's not only kind of what the managers are learning, which can sometimes be helpful, sometimes be hurtful, uh, but more often than not, it's hurtful because it can inflame uh, a manager if they're discussing the terms and conditions of their employment, it right. could be an LRA, um, issue, like, like Josh was mentioning, um, but also, you know, managers sometimes have their own flip, flip of mm-hmm. Um There was an instance in a discrimination lawsuit um, where a manager talked about, maybe after a fight with his wife or something like that, that, you know, women have um, more drama than they tend oh. to be in Jerry Springer. <laughs> well, Exhibit age is a discrimination law, lawsuit based on gender is going to be that, whether it was related to the claim or not. It might be very difficult as an employment the a to say that there's no discriminatory animus towards women with a comment like that. It's just there forever for all to see. Um, the other concept that you mentioned was with regard to company time. And all these PDAs, um, smartphones, and even your, the laptops that come home with employees now um, can easily transfer something that occurred um, outside of the workplace to company time because companies don't run nine to five so, um, you know, instead of, you know, being from nine to five and you knew someone that was at work, and so if there's a tort lawsuit, you knew whether they were under the direction and supervision of the employer. But now, after a few drinks on the way home from dinner, whoops, I forgot to send that email or make that post. Right. They send it while driving a copy the email, and perhaps that um, car accident that occurred because of their intoxication could be their employer. Mm-hmm. It's very beneficial for uh, clients who are looking to, you know, perhaps get more money than they would otherwise from the individual with clients getting the liability. So many times we are working twenty four seven. You know, you're checking your email, you're texting, you are responding. So you know something happens during that time period, it probably does open up a whole different can of work.
3: Well, and it opens up the possibility that if that is work time and the employee is non-exempt from ah, overtime,
2: been paid. <laughs> uh,
3: employers are finding that these uh, handy little devices and the 24-7 communication is leading to unpaid wage, or actually now the, the term they like to use is wage theft because the employer is stealing money out of the employee's mm-hmm. pocket by not paying them the overtime and extra hours that they should be paid for uh, responding to emails? Uh, checking uh, assignments, uh, and text messages. Now, text messages is a whole different category that we see a lot of unique problems because the communication is so much more casual. And one common thing we say, see there is the, uh, what do those letters mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, is WTF, wow, that's fantastic, or something <laughs> else? Is uh, LOL, lots of love, and why is my boss sending me lots of love? Um, And so you can see it, just these things get twisted around in so many ways with the different forms of communication through whatever social media. And it's important to know, too, even
4: outside of the potential influence of other factors outside of work, is when we get out of the office environment, we tend to let our guard down. Right. And I can't tell you how many discrimination cases we've been involved in or retaliation cases where a manager sends an, an offhand email at 11.30 before he goes to bed about the decision-making process. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily the smoking gun, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
4: but it's something that gets used against the company. Right. That maybe had even sitting at his desk giving it a little bit more thought. It might have been a little less damaging than it was just because of the lack of, uh, of,
2: of having your guard up. Right. Or, Well, then, of course, we have the funny little thing, especially on our smartphones, of autocorrect, where, you know, you might be texting, you might be, you know, sending something quickly, and sometimes just one or two letters in a word makes it totally different. And if you're sitting at your desk looking at your computer screen, you're going to catch that. But when you're, you know, texting from someplace, you know, whether it's the comfort of sitting in front of your TV or the bar or wherever, you could really get in trouble with something you said just because it did auto-correct on you.
3: And in my experience, if you like to use that microphone and dictate, you mm. better go back and check the words.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, this is fascinating, and, and you know, I'm learning so much, and I hope the listeners are too. We're going to go ahead and, and take our break. I am Deb Creer, and I'm speaking with C.R. Wright, Josh View, and Carrie Stewart on Mile High Radio.
1: Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant.
0: Yep, here's your problem. You haven't been listening to MileHighRadio.com.
5: The Chelsea Hutchison Foundation is a Colorado nonprofit corporation formed by Julie and Doug Hutchison to help individuals, particularly children and young adults who have epilepsy. The main focus is to raise funds to provide grants for trained seizure response dogs that may be able to detect an oncoming seizure and provide warnings and or respond after the onset. The Foundation also provides MFIT monitors for those in need. MFIT movement monitors are the latest technology for monitoring an individual who, during sleep, may experience seizures, which a caregiver or family member should be alerted to. The Chelsea Hutchison Foundation is named for Julie and Doug's beloved daughter, Chelsea, who died in her sleep during a seizure in April of 2009. The cause of her death is called SUDEP, or Sudden Unexplained Death in Epilepsy. During the six years that Chelsea had seizures, no one had ever told the Hutchison's that a seizure could take her life. As a result of that omission, the Chelsea Hutchison Foundation raises suit-up awareness so other families are not blindsided in the same way that they were. For more information on the Chelsea Hutchison Foundation, please click on the banner ad right here on milehighradio.com.
6: You can lose 10, 20, 30 pounds or more with Maximum Slim's first ever rapid weight loss guarantee. Today, you get Maximum Slim and Advanced Fat and Carb Blocker absolutely risk-free. The all-natural ingredients in Maximum Slim are a powerful weight loss combination. The Maximum Slim formula turns your body into a fat-burning furnace that supercharges your weight loss. Advanced Fat and Carb Blocker stops the breakdown of sugar so your body doesn't store it as fat. Today, you'll get both of these products absolutely risk-free free with no obligation. Only pay shipping. There are no expensive meal plans or exhausting DVDs. Just take maximum slim twice a day. It's fast simple and now it's guaranteed look you can start losing weight today or not go back to your high school days and wear your favorite jeans again guaranteed call now and get both weight loss formulas free call 800-375-7482 800-375-7482 that's 800-375-7482
0: nothing says i love you more than milehighradio.com
1: And now so we're, we're on 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 back air. for more fun and inspiration with social media expert Deb Career and her it fabulous is guest.
2: Okay, we're just gonna jump back in. <laughs> yep, there we go. go. I am Deb Creer and I am having a great time talking about social media as it pertains to employees, employers. We'll get back into a little bit more of job applicants type of things because I think that you know that really does pertain to, to quite a few people. So, as I mentioned, I'm with C.R. Wright, with Josh Vue, and with Carrie Stewart. So, before we get back into the the conversation, tell us a little bit about your firm, and uh, specifically what you do, and how they find your information online.
3: Sure. Well, um, as I mentioned before, we are labor and employment lawyers representing management. Um, Our service market is Solutions at Work. We like to be practical and uh, partner so that we can provide real-life answers not just to the legal issues, but to employment relations and whatever comes up now. We do practice nationwide.
7: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, we have over 30 offices and practice in every state. We also have international uh, right. business contacts so that uh, we can handle global immigration and other international business uh, issues by mm-hmm. partnering with our various contacts around the world. So our practice is pretty broad even though it's just labor and employment law, uh, things such as, of course, retaliation, harassment, discrimination, uh, OSHA, safety issues, mm-hmm. uh, immigration, I-9 forms, benefits, uh, 401, and, and some new health care law that's uh, brought a lot of attention. <laughs> um, we also handle what we call our employee defection unit, where we deal with restrictive covenants, non-competes, unsolicitation solicitation agreements, and... Uh, how to deal with a situation when a sales or other employee uh, takes confidential pricing or other customer information and misappropriates it to go on to their next uh, employment opportunity. Uh, so pretty much anything that uh, deals with the employment relationship, leave law issues, a wage an hour, overtime is a very hot thing right now. Um, and I stay more of a generalist. Josh uh, has some special uh, interest in the National Labor Relations Act, the National Labor Relations Board issues. Uh, and Terry's is also a litigator. I'll let them tell you a little bit about their practice and whatever I missed from the Fisher & Phillips. Great. Uh, yes, C.R., thank you. Uh, as C.R. mentioned, I do uh, a little bit
4: uh, different uh, aspect of employment law, and that part of my practice is dealing with the National Labor Relations Act and dealing with unionized employers. Uh-huh. Uh, and then as I had mentioned earlier, uh, that, uh, also the
2: NLRA, uh,
4: as it impacts non-union employers, and, uh, this is, uh, does not go over well in family functions for me because I am originally from Michigan.
2: Oh! And,
4: uh, <laughs> my dad was the first of, uh, of uh, four generations to not be a member of the United Auto Workers Union. Uh, and so, um, Uh, when I uh, graduated law school and told my grandfather that I was going to be practicing labor law, he said, oh, great, you can help out the union. And I said, well, I may be on the other side of that. And his response was, that's okay. I just thought you were going to go to school for your entire life anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But in addition to the union work, I also do uh, traditional employment litigation in terms of dealing with uh, discrimination cases, retaliation cases. Uh, harassment, and then also in areas of wage hour and leave laws. And, and as CR mentioned, I think what kind of separates us is, is we like to advise our clients with an eye towards litigation. We,
2: right, right. In terms of making their life better mm-hmm. than working. Yeah. Well, and we'll talk a, l- a little bit about that later because we do want to talk about policies that, that companies have in place. You know, it's it's better to have it in place than to play catch-up. Um, you know, And so, Terry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, Well, I am a partner here in the Atlanta office. I do all types of litigation from state and federal agencies through federal courts, state courts, all the way to appellate courts. So, basically, litigation under any of the labor employment laws at any stage, in addition to um, advice and counseling on a regular basis for employers. So, um, uh, they are. the type that would call ahead before some situation, I always prefer that because we have the ability to help them on the front end and that's always create a nice set of facts and do the right thing uh, throughout the process. But if anything does result in litigation, then, then we're there in that. Um, we can all be uh, reached through um, our website, laborlawyers.com. I'm Keith Stewart at laborlawyers.com. Um, our general phone number here in the Atlanta office for all of us. Four two three one fourteen hundred, and you
3: can reach any of that. Great, great. And on that website, uh, I mean, as you as you know, we have over three hundred attorneys mm-hmm. across the country. So we are, a, although we all practice labor and employment law, we have individuals who can specialize in certain areas and have deeper level of expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also have uh, specialty practice groups, mm-hmm. such as for healthcare, retail employers, oh, okay. um, and one is the education.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, fortunately, when I was in high school and college, uh, all of the employment law principles like harassment had not crept in. Mm-hmm. So uh, they didn't have a harassment policy that I had to worry about, but all schools now mm-hmm. do have. And so you can imagine in the parent, teacher, student, faculty, administrator context, social media is a real hot issue. Right. We've dealt with uh, education school clients, um, both private and public, who have parents coming to them wanting them to help take down from social media what their child had done on the campus, college, perhaps at Mm -hmm. the frat party. Uh, And so there's some real interesting social media issues that crop up there.
2: and, And I always tell people, you know, social media is forever. I don't care if you delete it. If somebody has the opportunity to see it, they could have printed it. They could have done a screensaver. They could have done, you know, a... Captures. There's all sorts of things. So just because you might have gone back and deleted the pictures that didn't show you in the best light to a future employer or, you know, some, some things like that, it doesn't mean it, that it doesn't still exist. So, of course, my policy is to, do it to start with. Yeah,
3: because I, I often say that delete button mm-hmm. is misnamed. It's really the temporarily hide this right.
2: button. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the staff I heard said something along the lines of even if you delete something, It stays on the Facebook server for about 18 months. So, you know, it is still there. It's still discoverable, whether it's an attorney or, um, you know, somebody. And, and of course, Twitter, you can't really access it from the general public, but they are archiving every tweet, unless it was very specifically marked as private, which most people don't do. Um, Direct messages wouldn't go in this, but they are archived with the Library of Congress. So... What's there is there. That's right. um, I, just to that point, um, one of the things that, that we suggest that employers do look at is the document uh, retention policy okay. and decide ahead of time how, what their approach is going to be to the, uh, archiving, uh, emails, documents, text messages, social media, access to social media, Um, Because one of the things that's becoming so expensive about litigation is the exchange of evidence, which now knows know is in in electronic form. There's metadata associated with the creation of each document, the edit of each document, and uh, the retention of each document. And so whether it be a subpoena or an attempt to subpoena some of these records from the um, social media sites, or just an employer having to produce certain documents from their own server um, is often much more expensive than the actual litigation right. itself. So if you have an automatic deletion process, a backup process, a way to get ahead of the um, game, and so when you get these requests, I mean it could be a, a request for a subpoena for documents in a divorce case for your employee, or it could be direct litigation against you. But um, if you already have these things in place, and you can limit That's right. right. Well, and you know, we're we're talking about things from the employer's perspective, Mm -hmm. but from the employee's perspective, to me, it's also, in a lot of ways, it's protecting the employee. You know, if you know I can do this, but I can't do that, and you make the decision, you know, I'm going to do this, but not that, or I'm still going to go ahead and break those policies. But it's not just, you know, the employer or wanting to say everything. It is, in many ways, it's protecting the employees
3: also. That's true. And and there's kind of a disconnect there if you look at the statistics. Uh, A much higher percentage of employers say they do have social media policies uh, than the number of employees who think their employers have one. So uh, we see those statistics from time to time. But clearly there's a disconnect in that employers think they have it covered and employees have no idea mm-hmm. what the rules are or that, or that that is what that policy means and it was on page 30-whatever of the handbook mm-hmm. or wherever it's put. But you're right, Deb, um, and that's what we emphasize. Employees need to be educated. That's part of a good policy. And know the rules and potential
2: consequences if they do something that causes harm in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and, you know, I, I think employees have to get over the fact that social media, you know, the, the biggest concept they, they always say is, it's personal. It's mine. You no, know? I'm sorry, it's not. And and I tell people, you know, don't post something, especially on, say, your Facebook page. That tends to be where we get more uh, free with what we post. And I tell people, if you don't want the whole world to see it, including your spouse, your parent, your clergy, your boss, then you shouldn't post it to start with. Um, you know, and, and just keep that in mind, because it could be seen. You know, I have people that say, well, so I've I'm, I'm only connected on Facebook with my, my personal friends and my family. Okay, that's great. But what's to say that that's not a potential employer? So if you've been posting, or if somebody who's going to refer, refer you for a job, so if you've been posting, you know, hey, I leave early for work every day or something, then those, those referrals aren't going to come. You're going to wonder, what the heck? You know, and, and, I mean, I get some of the best referrals I have from Facebook because I keep a professional there. I have fun. I mean, you know, yesterday I went up to Athens. I went to the University of Georgia because my beloved University of Colorado Buffs were playing. And so, of course, I post about that on, on Facebook. But I would never say anything, especially here, um, you know, really negative or anything like that against the University of Georgia. I mean, it was, it was a great game. We were treated very well. Even if we had not been, I would never post anything. I mean, to me, it's just, you always should be professional. And I don't care if you're 16 or 60 or beyond, that's, that's my thought process. That's an
4: mm-hmm. important point that you make, Deb, is we focus so much on the content, social media posts. Uh, it's also important for employees to consider the amount of time mm-hmm. that they're spending on, on social media sites right. and when that time is mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, even if it's somebody who they don't view as a prospective employer now, if somebody knows that this person is spending six hours a day while they're at work right. up on Facebook, then that's going to be a red flag to that person to give them a recommendation. Right. Right.
2: It's
4: also something that employers have struggled with in terms of trying to manage employee productivity mm-hmm. because it used to be a lot easier to monitor uh, when it was just the company computer. Mm-hmm. But now you have smartphones right. and tablets and all these other right. devices that make it more difficult to manage
2: that. Telling people you can't access your Facebook page at work is one thing, but they just go trotting off to the restroom or out to their car with their smartphone, and then they're going to spend 15, 20 minutes or more on on Facebook. I tell people it's kind of like when you ban a 16-year-old boy, especially, from doing something. They're going to break their neck to try to figure out how to do it. If you tell them, you know, here's the policy. During your break time, you can use Facebook, you can do whatever, you know, whatever the policy is, they're going to totally forget about it. You know, you you ban it, they want to do it. You give them permission to
3: do it, they're like, okay, whatever. And along the lines of what you and Josh were just talking about, you know, what's different now in social media, unlike a piece of paper in the old days, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: a social media can tell when you did it, where you were, and lots of other tracking information through either photo tagging or a GPS or other means. Um, I'm reminded of a colleague at a different uh, employer who didn't realize that when we got voicemail, it would timestamp his message. And he would pretend that he was in the office at (laughs) 2 in the morning, but it didn't match with what the timestamp on the voicemail said. So social media now, in a much more advanced technology uh, situation, Uh, can actually tell on employees, and and as you mentioned, they tell on themselves. Right. By saying, here I go, I'm going to, boss is not looking, I'm going to slip on out early.
2: Mm -hmm. Right, and, and, you know, it used to be that you could reset the clock at the office, or, you know, some things like that, so you could cheat. The timestamp that happens on the computers, you can't change. I mean, even if you change the time on your personal computer, it's still timestamped based on, you know, Facebook or, or whatever process you're using. So if you are sitting there playing a bunch of games or even if you're just posting several times, it's pretty clear what's going on.
4: Technology is such a double-edged sword as we mm-hmm. talked about this before we went on the air in terms of dealing with teenagers and things like that. that it's, it's, it has its advantages, but it also has advantages for employers and that it's much more difficult to get away with stuff now than it is. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, right. Um, we've got just about another minute before we take a break, and so I'm not sure we have enough time, but let's go back to the process of somebody has applied for a job. You know, one of the ramifications, Josh, you wanted to to get a statement in there about that. You know, you've applied for a job, now one on social media. Yeah,
4: and and social media is always, I mean, even when we get uh, plaintiffs then sometimes, of course, in compliance with laws that govern this, you you Google somebody uh, to get what information you can on them, and employers are tempted to uh, access this information that they can get through these social media sites, but it also is a a a potential landmine in that you may obtain information uh, in looking at those websites about the applicant that you're legally prohibited from considering, and information that you wouldn't normally get. And what we talk about are protected characteristics that are right. identifiable by looking at someone, for example, their religion or some disability. So what we typically recommend is that if you're going to use those resources, use a buffer. Okay. In other words, you get someone who's not going to be involved in a decision uh-huh. process, and maybe even somebody uh, maybe you outsource it mm-hmm. to a third party, somebody not even a. And they scrub They sanitize the information before it gets to the decision maker. So if you find <laughs> something on there that is important and that you can legally consider uh, in whether to hire the applicant, then you have that information, but somebody has removed uh, the information that could potentially get you in trouble.
2: Right. I, I was once working with a young girl who was fresh out of college, and so we, uh, she was looking for a job, obviously, and that was why I was working with her. And her LinkedIn page was fabulous, especially for someone who was just out of college. She'd done a lot of volunteer work, so we, we really had it set up well, and she's getting nothing, no interviews, no anything. And so I look at her Facebook page, and of course, she's in that younger demographic where she shared everything with the world. Every post was public which meant it was very easy for someone to see it. Now, this was a delightful young woman. She wasn't doing anything wrong or bad, but she was very newly engaged and gushing about it. But appropriate, so this was okay. But then she starts talking about the fact that her fiancé is going to be moving, and in six months, she'll be moving to another state. So, of course, she's not going to get any interviews because people went, well, she's a great candidate, but why would we only want her for a couple of months? Well, that's,
3: that's a great example, and... And so many times we see things like that, that whatever misrepresentation, misunderstanding, what you didn't catch, how uh, becomes the issue. Along the lines of what Josh was discovering, you know, we get this situation a lot of times where uh, perhaps a company places its employees in a customer's facility, ah. whether it's an office or a warehouse or whatever, and the customer takes it upon him or herself to Google and see what they can buy. And, and, of course, the Federal government as well as a lot of states right now are uh, cracking down on employers' ability to conduct background checks and use mm-hmm. that information. And so uh, imagine the dilemma when uh, you as uh, the employer are told by your customer, I found this on the web and I don't want this person in my office.
2: Right, right. Makes it, makes it tricky. So again, just don't put it on social media. Well, we're ready to to take our our last break of the program. I am Deb Creer, talking with C.R. Wright, Josh Hugh, and Terry Stewart, and we're talking about social media as it pertains to employers and employees. And we'll be back in just a moment.
1: Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back.
0: Yep, here's your problem. You haven't been listening to MileHighRadio.com. Nothing says, I love you, more than MileHighRadio.com.
6: Are you ready to spring into the body you've always wanted? This spring is all about you at Denver Integrated Plastic Surgery, where Dr. Ben Lee offers free consults. That's right, free consults to all patients. Call 303-783-9997 today to book your free consult with Dr. Ben Lee at Denver Integrated Plastic Surgery. 303-783-9997. Denver Integrated Plastic Surgery. Aesthetics from the inside out.
7: Hi, Chris here from Yumbana Gluten-Free Bakery. Do you get gas, bloating, cramping, or worse when you eat items with wheat, barley, or rye? You may be dealing with celiac, gluten intolerance, or a gluten allergy. Experts estimate that up to 40% of us need to avoid gluten. At Yumbana, we bake the best tasting gluten-free items, hands down. For two years, I've been perfecting our recipes to be tasty and moist instead of dry and crumbling. We use nothing artificial, and we ELISA test our products to be sure they're truly gluten-free. So no matter if you're a super-sensitive celiac or someone who feels better staying away from gluten, stop tootin' your gluten and visit our online store today. Go to yumbanashop.com. That's Y-U-M-B-A-N-A. S-H-O-P-P-E dot com. We ship worldwide, and if you live in the Castle Rock area of Colorado, delivery is free. Save 10% when you enter the coupon code milehighradio. com.
0: Nothing says I love you more than milehighradio.com.
1: And now we're back for more fun and inspiration with social media expert Deb Creer and her fabulous guest.
2: And we are back. I am Deb Creer, and we're having so much fun, and I'm learning so much today. Um, as my intro says, we have fabulous guests, and yes, we do have fabulous guests today. From the law firm of Fisher & Phillips here in Atlanta, we have C.R. Wright, Josh View, and Terry Stewart. We've been having a great time talking about social media as it pertains to employers and employees. And I want to dedicate the, the rest of the program here, so we've got about 15 minutes, to talk about why companies should have a social media policy. Um, you know, and and. I think it goes along with, you know, you, you should have a harassment policy, you should have a drug policy, you know, it's just all of these things that you need to have in place. I think, you know, so many companies say oh, we our employees are grown up. They won't post anything they shouldn't. I saw one social media policy that I just thought was absolutely hilarious. Their social media policy was be an adult. That was they're printed. Not you know, it was in their employee and I am like, Okay. That's kinda like art. For one person, art is Beautiful for the next person, they're thinking, holy cow, that's pornography. So what do you advise to employers? And and I always say, if you don't have a policy, just don't write it yourself. Ask an attorney. Make sure that you're going about it the right way. But, you know, why do you tell employers that they have to have a policy and how detailed should it get?
3: Oh, Deb, you've got me curious now whether that company had basically a one-page, one-line <laughs> handbook that covered everything.
2: If it works
3: for social media, it works mm-hmm. for everything else, too. That's we we'll have to remember that, although so many times I have managers and supervisors tell me they should have uh, uh, majored in college in uh, elementary or childhood education oh, yeah. because they feel like they're running a kindergarten mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, an adult workplace. But as to why you have a social media policy, the same reason you have all the other policies. You want to protect the company's interests. Mm -hmm. You want to let the employees know what the rules are. And you want to encourage the adult, if you will, responsible Mm -hmm. behavior. Um, And unfortunately, adults just aren't always responsible, in our experience, from what we see uh, coming in from our clients as to what people have done Mm -hmm. at work or away from work. So have a policy for those reasons, for all the reasons we've talked about today. Um, I'll let uh, Terry and Josh weigh in on the specifics, but basically a seven-step approach we have is be realistic. You know, your, your employees are going to use social media, uh, so be realistic in recognizing uh, those aspects and uh, think about how you want to regulate the normal use of whatever form of social media it is. A lot of companies use it. And encourage employees to use social media for the benefit of the company. Right, right. They have rules uh-huh. about what you can and cannot say. Um, and the same goes true for the employee's own personal use. Uh, so be realistic. Uh, you also want to guard against using social media in the application and hiring process for the reasons we mentioned. Uh-huh. You get information that uh, might tell you protected characteristics uh-huh. such as age uh, and other personal identifiable information. You really shouldn't have an
2: applicant. And you can even get that from LinkedIn, um, you know, and, and which is tricky because, you know, you're gonna, you we're smart people. You can figure out, oh, hey, if they listed that their high school graduation date was X, then you can kind of figure out how old they are or, you know, college, things like that. So you do have to be careful even on LinkedIn.
3: Right. And so three and four are train your management team, mm-hmm. supervisors, and train employees so that there's an education process about what's expected for social media, mm-hmm. both in the business context uh, for customers, as well as for, if, it, if that's uh, applicable, as well as for the uh, employee in their personal use and, and what they do and say in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to have to deal with uh, violations of the policy You want to make sure you treat social media issues the same way you treat non-social media. You know, what what an employee's conduct might be uh, if they weren't happening to use the various methods of social media for their communication. Uh, You also want to have some method in place to monitor what's going on, what's being said about your uh, company, Mm -hmm. uh, what's being done and said by your employees, particularly at work or when they are representing the company and um, and then finally number seven just balance it weigh the risks of what could happen uh, against the benefits Mm -hmm. of social media and i can talk deb to the uh to the
4: labor related uh, aspects of social media policies i had mentioned earlier that uh, the National Labor Relations Board is getting more involved in the non-union workplace, mm-hmm. and one of the avenues uh, by which they're they're sticking their nose in is through social media policies. Uh, and employers have a desire to really control what employees. Say about them publicly, right.
2: right? It's their reputation that they're protecting.
4: Exactly, mm-hmm. and, and and used to be, your reputation was based on word of mouth. Uh-huh. Something is said and it goes viral, mm-hmm. and it, and it's all over the country within uh, hours, if not minutes. And so, a lot of employers want to prohibit anything negative about them that gets said on social media. Uh, and, and what the board has come out and said is that employees have a right. Basically, the term is. To engage in protected concerted activity basically it means one or more people can get together and try to improve the workplace is huh. CR and I can sit down and have a conversation about our wages
2: mm-hmm. about
4: the temperature in the office about the way a certain supervisor is treating us and the board has extended that to social media and they have done so in a very broad way mm. uh, and they have basically said that anything in your policy that could reasonably chill an employee's uh, right to engage in that conduct
2: huh.
4: violates the Act.
2: So that very broad, you can't say anything negative. But, no, no. And
4: you'd be surprised at, at how at some of the terms that they have uh, that they have found to be overly broad. Things such as unprofessional, uh, inappropriate, inaccurate, misleading. Those terms and prohibiting those types of comments has been found to be overly broad. Mm -hmm. So really the policies have to be narrowly tailored so that they don't uh, impact those, uh, they don't have the chilling effect on the employees rights to engage in that conduct. And it it really puts employers in kind of a catch-22 because you almost have to get so specific Mm -hmm. that you end up with something that looks like a tax code or something in your social media policy. But um, some of the types of language that has been approved by the board are things like prohibiting harassment and using the the equal opportunity uh, language Mm -hmm. or things for like the language that you would have in your typical harassment policy Uh, you know prohibiting um, uh, aggressive demeaning uh, inappropriate terms there are some limits Mm -hmm. now profanity in and of itself towards a supervisor uh, has, believe it or not, been found to not, to, to not uh, be something that, uh, I'm sorry, using profanity to a supervisor is protected under the Act. Oh. Uh, in certain contexts, there's actually cases yeah. out there. It. So, uh, really, it, it, I wish there was one blanket policy language that I could give it, your listeners.
2: It changes.
4: But it, it changes. The board has actually been somewhat inconsistent in what they have
2: Well, and obviously it changes by industry. You know, what's acceptable, language for, you know, in in one area is very different, you know, whether it's an industry or an area of the country or things like that. It's very different in in other parts of of the the United States.
3: And as you can imagine, a supervisor or manager might not like an employee going on Facebook or whatever um, social media. And calling the supervisor a dirtbag, scumbag, pervert, mm-hmm. uh, on and on. I'm, I'm leaving out some of the more yes, offensive uh,
2: words, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
3: but in fact, as Josh just mentioned, the board says that's okay, and if the employee doesn't go so far as to commit a threat of violence mm-hmm. or or really go overboard uh, in specific areas, they can use all those trashy negative words about their boss and it's their right to mm-hmm. do so and there it is on social media for all to say natural reaction from the boss is to fire them mm-hmm. and if you google "fired on facebook
2: <laughs> you can see a lot
3: of examples where bosses uh were told you can't do that mm-hmm. it's unfortunate but that's where kind of advice josh was just given you've got to have the right specific policy language and handle each case uh based on the individual circumstances. And then maybe like a recent case I had, Mm -hmm. you can put the employee in jail for stalking
2: because they went
3: out and took a picture of the manager jogging around the neighborhood and said some things that Mm -hmm. crossed the line. So each case is individual. Mm
2: -hmm. You would still want to caution employees that even though there are some rights out there, I mean, the best way is for everyone to handle it professionally, Mm -hmm. so neither one is in a position to deal with that. But I just wanted to echo some of the themes that, that we are going to discuss with regard to monitoring your digital footprint. That's a good idea for employees and managers and companies. There are um, technology-based programs that allow you to maintain um, a record of what's said about you or your company just by certain keywords. And that's good because there are, what, 83 million safe profiles. right? So you should know what's being said about right. So that's good for, for both ends. Um, you should handle um, discipline and discharge consistently and while that seems to be um, something that's obvious and innate, you would be surprised in the social media context because if you do an electronic search of employees and find perhaps revealing pictures, but you only did it for women, then the search itself was discriminatory. Ah. Um, so it might not be um, what's actually produced in the search. But you need to be consistent with how those searches um, are done if, if they're done at all. One thing that can differentiate an example like that is if a customer comes to you and says, I found these pictures online of your employee, that's going to obviously make it different. Then you go out and try to list the information from the web the on these things. Um, a company should put a lot of forethought into what type of access they want their employees to have. Um, There is a a major retail client of ours that allows um, their workers to have no access because they're in the retail environment. There's a need for them to have computers. They need to be servicing their customers face to face. Um, So that's an example of not even allowing our terminals to have access. And it's understandable. And it's understandable. In other cases, it's incredibly beneficial to have employees. So think ahead, think about um, ways that you, block certain website, allow it only during break time, or monitor it if you're going to allow them to use it um, on company time. Mm-hmm. Um, you also need to consider some of the demographics of that you're using. Um, if you're posting all of your uh, job applications or new stuff on Monster versus LinkedIn, each site in and of itself has their own demographic information. Something like LinkedIn can have an average age of 41. So you might be leaning out an entire age of uh, potential employees or right. workers based on your advertising. Um, so I think the, the point of all of this is that this is a, a very technical side um, with lots of new and emergent issues with respect to labor employment law. So employees need to be aware. Employers need to think before they act perhaps an attorney. think ahead about what they want to do as far as the cost before um, moving forward on how to control this environment. Well, and it's also something that is continual. Uh, We were talking during the break about, you know, programs that have been uh, and applications that have been created to save things from Snapchat. You know, and and, I mean, five, ten years ago, people bought Facebook. You know, they might have been keeping track of somebody on LinkedIn, maybe on MySpace, but they never thought about Facebook, they never thought about Twitter. So, as an employer, you really have to keep up. And that comes back to the demographic question. You know, your supervisors, your bosses might be in their 50s, and and so they're going to use social media sites very differently from, say, a very young workplace. And and so, you have to keep up on what's going on out in the, the social media world.
4: We thought, we thought emails were bad until instant messaging mm-hmm. became the preferred method mm-hmm. for communicating at work.
2: Right, right. You know, and, and it is something that you just have to, to always pay attention to. Um, and then the, the other thing that I always tell the people that I'm talking with is on your Facebook page, if you're on Facebook, set your privacy settings to turn tagging off. Because the, the cute picture that somebody might post of you and tag you in it it shows, you know, something to, to everyone might not be something that you want the rest of the world to see. So always make sure that you have turned that feature off. So it's still going to show on their own personal space. And obviously, if it's something really egregious, you could go in and say, hey, you know, I didn't want people to see that I went to Las Vegas over the weekend. But, you know, just don't have that, that option where if they tag you, it automatically shows up on your own personal space. Right? Well, it's got about one minute left. So let's quickly go around and 30 seconds from each of you on, you know, just a tip that you would give either to
3: an employer or an employee. For uh, both employers and employees, be careful, think. If you want to say act like an adult, as long as it's a responsible adult, uh, and all this stuff is changing so fast, tomorrow we'll probably have a whole new set of examples. Right. So uh, step back objectively, take a look, and think about, what you're doing on social media, and how others might view it. My advice
4: would be as much as social media is new and we feel like it's something new that we're dealing with, if employers just apply the same principles Mm -hmm. that they've applied even prior to social media, treating people fairly, treating people consistently, Mm -hmm. uh, disciplining people in a consistent manner, if you apply traditional principles to this New scary environment that we're
2: in. We'll be just fine. Right. Exactly. I'll just to echo C R and Josh. I think that's both well said. Um, the only thing to add to those um, kind of federal principles is that um, you know there is new and emerging legislation coming out of this, and new and emerging takes on what's appropriate and not, and that part is changing. But if you revert back to Josh and CR's uh, principles, then you should be able to uh, keep up with these new changes um, as the kind of interpretation of what's always there. Great, great. Well, I want to thank the three of you. This has been absolutely fabulous. I hope that, that people really learned a lot from it. You know, and it really is about being an adult. Um, and, you know, and and obviously everybody's definition of being an adult is different. So I tell people, you know, don't post something that your grandmother would say, what on earth did you just post? Um, and, and so, again, thank you to C.R. Rice, to Josh Few, and to Terry Stewart from Fisher & Phillips, LLC, here in Atlanta. And have a great day. We will talk with you next week.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more
7: top business podcasts, visit c Sweetradio.com.